And we're in the middle of a worship uh, series uh, where, where we're in all of, of our living God. And there's something that happens when you understand who you are in Christ, but more so who it is that we believe in and put our faith in. There is an all that's behind it, meaning that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, I can easily just look towards him and know that he has everything in control. Amen? So, so we're continuing in our third week of this series, Worship, Living in All of God. And we've been talking about the heart of worship for all believers, the need to love God and others while living out that worship in our daily lives. Because the way we live out our lives paints a picture of what our heart values the most. Uh, we've learned that God expects us to worship him with our entire being. And what we do with our lives says to others what we think about worship. So in, in our first week, we had the honor and privilege of having my father, Pastor Carlos, uh, open up this series. And, and he was talking about how worshiping God involves the totality of our being. It's all of who we are. It's everything, not just a portion of us. It's all of us, right? And as we learn and, and as we want to worship or as we are to worship God, then we must learn and want to work to know him in every way that he offers. And this will require commitment and devotion. Amen. Last week, I continued where we were talking about how worship is driven by our love for God. And as we learn to worship God with our entire person, we find ourselves listening better to what God wants for others. And as we worship, God opens our eyes and our hearts to his desire for others because God intends for us as the community of faith to care for one another. How many believe that? We went into the story of the Good Samaritan and, and the beauty of seeing what God did in that story, how someone took a, a, an interruption into their schedule to help someone else that was in need. And a lot of times God has placed people in your path, maybe not in that exact scenario where specifically someone is lesser than or, or, or does not have as you have, but there might be a friend that's next to you. There might be someone in your small group. There might be somebody here in the church or, or someone appear at your job that God has placed you in that position position in order to help them and bless them with whatever it is that they need in that moment. Amen. Now I want to go to Acts chapter 20 and, and we're going to open up where we're going to go today. But Acts chapter 20 verse 32 through 35. And if you don't have it, we'll have it here on the screen. But it says, now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Verse 33, it says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Then it says in 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can we say that together? It is more blessed to what? Than to what? Not, it doesn't make no sense for me because I like to receive. I don't know about you guys. I love receiving gifts. Is there any gifts that people like to receive? Forget the gift givers. I just like to receive them. Just me. I knew it. Christmas is only for me, right? 
I love to receive gifts. It's something that, about receiving a gift. Uh, there's a difference when you're having to give, and we're going to go into the principle of what Paul was saying here in the teachings that he got from Jesus, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so today I want to talk about how we give because we have received, that this is a natural response to God's love, that by committing to a life of generosity, we keep God on the throne of our hearts while living out his love in our lives. And I want God to take this truth and put it firmly in our hearts that we are believing that we can be people that live to bless other people. How many want to be a blessing to somebody else this year? Amen? And I think a lot of times, that's uh, some of us, my wife and I, we've, been, we've said that ourselves. It's like, man, Lord, if I had, if I just had more, I, I would do this. Or if I had just more, I would do this. And, and you know, there's things that we have that we're able to bless with. And, and a lot of times that's with our time, not just our resources. That's just in ways that we've been able to be placed in people's lives and be intentional about giving the things that God has placed in us to receive. Uh, what's funny is that uh, I'm turning 40 this year. And uh, I know, amen. And so I just already feel another ligament, already about a tear for some reason. But... And, and I was talking to my wife, and, and I was like sitting there. I was like, okay, I've been in ministry, uh, full-time ministry, high-capacity ministry for over like 16 years, right, where I'm leading from a, from a, a high position, leading over many people. Uh, I've been in, in the business that I'm in at Cisco uh, for the last 12 years where I'm leading people that are here in the state, in California, and in India, and in North Carolina. And so I'm constantly doing uh, meetings with individuals, all on my leads, and, and then meeting with our groups here. And so uh, it's been a lot of what experience, right? And, and a lot of times I tend to look at myself, and, and sometimes you could call that humility. Sometimes you can call it that uh, uh, maybe I'm, I, I don't feel uh, uh, that I'm worthy in a sense or that I'm not ready yet. But I, I looked at my wife the other day and I said, man, baby, we're doing premarital counseling. We've been married for 20 years. We have things we could say. And I've given advice to, to newlyweds saying, uh, don't go to anybody uh, to get advice about marriage until they're at least 10 years married. At least 10 and then they're like, but hold up, I was five and it was rough. We made it to five. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not judging it based on if you're five, you have nothing to say or things. But I'm just saying at least ten, then wait. And I started thinking to myself and I was talking to a couple of our friends and, and I found myself in a position going, you know what, Lord, you have called me for a time as this. I need to accept what you've called me to do and I can give that advice that someone may need. That, that the things that I've learned and had to go through, the pain that I've, I've had to face, the, the turmoils that I have to face, the unfair moments I've had to face, the submission that I've had to face, the, the forced humility that I've had to face. I feel that I'm in a season now in my age where I keep looking now I feel like I'm 25, but Lord's like, no, you're creeping to 40 now. You have something to say. And I truly believe that a lot of us, we tend to be placed into a position, maybe in our jobs or wherever it may be, when you have experience that God has done in your life. There's things that God has done for you. There's things that God has done through you. And you have a mouth to speak and you just have to ask God, Lord, help me be able to usher what I've had to go through to help and bless somebody else. Maybe that's not a prayer somebody wants to do. Because I have to go through something in order to talk about it. And here we are talking about a message on generosity that a lot of times as preachers and as pastors, it's difficult to talk about in the climate that we live in today. My dad says something. He was like, this was my first message about giving all year since last year, mid of last year. And trust me, don't, don't get turned off just because you're like, oh, here we go. I got it. No, no, no. I just want to understand. I want you to understand a principle of how we are blessed to give. 
And I'm not talking about just giving where it's like, oh, here we go, Pastor. I'm talking about to give to you. No, no. I'm talking about there's things that God's placed inside of you to be able to bless somebody else. There's things that God's placed within you in order to teach and reach somebody else. So I want you to take the, 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 the title of my message as we, as we jump right into it and, and write this down uh, as we continue our Living in All Series worship, Beyond Blessed. Come on, say that to yourself. I am beyond blessed. I'm more than blessed. Come on, y'all got to declare that over your life. I am beyond blessed. Because a lot of times we can point out what we don't have or what hasn't happened yet. But when you can be firm in what you've been given and the life that you have right now, you can look at the blessings that you already have in your hands. Say, Lord, I am beyond blessed. Amen. I just want to pray one more time. Father, thank you once again as we prepare for your word. We thank you, Lord, that that people are able to receive it in this moment, Father. It'll bless their lives, Lord, as you're a giver and you gave it all to us. Father, let it be you, not me, Lord, because you receive all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Come on, we say? Now, you might think, well, what do you mean by beyond blessed? I mean, if you're blessed, aren't you just blessed, right? How can you be beyond blessed? So I thought of a little natural example, and it relates to where I am in the stage of my life. See, my wife and I, we purposely and intentionally planned for two children only. Only. That's blessed. We got a third one without asking. That's beyond blessed. You see what I'm saying? You see? Okay. Now... I'm beyond blessed. So what I mean by beyond blessed is that God so blesses us. And I'm not talking about materialism. Please hear me. But it's that we can be a blessing. So it's so that we can be a blessing to other people. And there's been moments that just in that blessing, because we just dedicated two children to the Lord saying they are gifts. They are rewards that God gives us. Here, we, we have the honor and the privilege to raise God's treasure. We have the honor and the privilege to be able to, to, to raise up the blessing that he has given us. And so there's moments in our age at 40 where it doesn't feel as much as a blessing. Y'all been seeing my two-year-old lately? He's starting to hit. His, his, his hands start raising. I'm like, what are you doing? I was like, and so sometimes you question yourself because you were raised Pentecostal in the church. So they're like, they're like, that kid doesn't get that just anywhere. It's because he's seen some things. He's like, no, I don't raise my hand. Like, you know, it's like, you, you feel all guilty. Like, you know, he's all hitting. Like, where did he get that from? Not me. We don't even yell in the house. You know, you're like, you're trying to explain what's happening. I'm like, he's just two. You know what I'm saying? He's in his terrific twos. And so, but a lot of times we look at those situations and we talk to other parents, first time parents, and we get to, and we look at him like, hey, we're in the middle of it just like you, right? We're in the middle of going through. I remember having a conversation with some other pastors um, that ended up uh, resigning and turning in their, their, uh, uh, their assignment. And, and so I remember talking to them and, and I didn't know that they, they, they had turned in their, their jobs and their roles, but I asked them, I said, hey man, um, so man, I, I noticed that you you guys are going into a new season. Like, is it, and I'm trying to kind of pick, is it in ministry? Is it, is it, you're going into the workforce? He goes, nah, man, it's just, we have a two-year-old and a three-year-old and there's no way I could do ministry with a two-year-old. That's how he told it to me. And I'm looking at him like, I have a two-year-old. <laughs> and I'm looking at him, he's like, and, and in that moment he was like, oh, oh, for real? For real? Yeah, yeah. I'm leading a whole church. It's not just youth ministry, you know, 
And I remember thinking to myself, Lord, you have placed certain things inside of us. Sometimes we don't understand why it's happening. And trust me, please don't take this as like, oh gosh, our little boy, we're like detrimental. No, no, no. I, he, he needed to come. He was the blessing that arrived in the time that we needed him most. And, and he's been such a blessing in our lives. And we see the purpose that God has on him. He's literally going to be a preacher. You just already see it, the character that he has. And I remember sitting there to myself thinking, okay, Lord, is this what you have in store for us? How do I help somebody else? What, what advice can we give? And a lot of times you're in a place where God's placed something inside of you in order to bless somebody else, but we stay quiet. And so Acts 20 verse 35 is a bit of an anomaly because while this saying of Jesus is consistent with his teachings, it cannot be found in the Gospels. And however, an absence doesn't suggest a fabrication or even a misstatement. And if we look at it, Luke, the writer of the Gospels, also the author of Acts, for example, the Gospel according to John tells us that Jesus performed many miracles not contained in the account. You can find that in John chapter 20 verse 30. So as Paul speaks to the group of leaders from the churches in Ephesus, he reminds them that they are to live as shepherds caring for the flock to which they have been entrusted. He reminds them that as shepherds, they are required to care for the flock and all its needs. So Paul stresses this commitment by citing his own to them. And as he closes the section, he reminds them of the words of Jesus. Anderson rightly states that this saying does not mean that those who benefit from the generosity of others are less blessed than those who give. The principle is rather it is better for a person who can do so to give to help others rather than to amass further wealth for himself. So Paul's own behavior is then presented as a practical example of how to put this into practice. In the end, Paul uses Jesus' teachings as the foundations for his own life. And as he teaches, he reminds those leaders that they have a responsibility to lead by example. So talking about money is never easy. It hits close to home. For most people, how much money people make, how they choose to spend it, and how much they are giving are personal matters. Besides, people believe that church leaders talk too often about money. So when the topic of money is discussed, people in church may feel like they're in the middle of a Sunday morning stick-up, meaning give me, I mean give God your money. But this is not a reason for us to ignore the topic of money. Stewardship is arguably one of the most important aspects of the Christian life. Jesus spoke more often about money than he did prayer and faith combined. Money has been an issue for people throughout history. The need for money, stewarding it well, and the temptations money creates will continue until Jesus returns. And as a church leader, it's important that we help the people we serve to learn how to steward their resources well. I truly believe that we can step into a church and be able to be equipped to be better stewards. I believe that we could be in a church that we can step in and be equipped to be better stewards outside of here. Why not the Christian faith to be the ones that's helping make decisions to help our community, to help our need? You know, you know what was beautiful is that uh, we, we, we adopted a park a couple months ago, and, and we're about to go back out there here in June, and, and we finally got to talk with, with the, the project coordinator because there's so much that we want to do for this little baby boring park that they gave us. It was literally, if you didn't hear the story, it was the last park available to 
be adopted in the city of Kaleen. When we arrived, we understood why. There's nothing for the kids. They removed all the playground stuff. It's like all the, the concrete is being is broken and tore up. It is not a nice little park place that you can go and take IG pictures at ever. So the reality is as we got there, we were like, wow, there's a lot of work to do. I mean, even the bat, they had a little one, one goal, basketball goal that was there. All the concrete is broken. No rim. There's, there was electronics sticking out of the stuff. So I was like, even if kids were going to come play, they're going to get electrocuted and might die. And so I'm looking at all this stuff saying, this is the park you adopted, Lord, right? And, and so for us as a church, we believe that God, okay, you've placed this park in your hands in a specific community. So we want to go serve. We want to go do something. So why not? The generosity of the people of our church allows us to arrive there and say, hey, we're here. We can dig up all of that. We can fix that concrete. We can do this. We would love to plant and beautify this. We would love to do this. And they're looking and listening to us going like, you guys want to do all that? Yes, we want to do that. The beauty of knowing that if we have what it takes and we have to give, why can't we be a church that's able to do these things for our community? Why wouldn't be why would, that we can able to do this for our schools and, and do different things that allows us to be into spaces that we're able to financially, we're able with our time, we're able with our resources, our gifts, our leadership to be able to make a change in our community. How many know that God is a giver? Amen? God himself is the embodiment of giving. He gives us life. He provides for us. And he gives us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. He is a giver. He left the comforts and glory of heaven to live for us, to die for us, and to rise from death in victory over sin and the grave. This is what led Paul to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, the scriptures are filled with passages related to giving. Noted author and pastor Randy Alcorn speaks to how we honor God when we give. In the end, God owns everything and we simply manage it. He argues that when we give something away, we are setting ourselves to freely, fully experience God's intention with it. And as long as I hold tightly to something, I believe I own it. But when I give it away, I relinquish control, power, and prestige. When I realize that God has a claim not merely on the few dollars I might choose to throw in the offering plate, not simply on 10% or even 50%, but the 100% of my money is revolutionary. If, if I'm God's money manager, I'm not God. Money isn't God. God is God. So God, money, and I are each put in our rightful place. So Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And then verse 47, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The beauty of my worship is also through my giving. That as I give to others, as I help provide for others, as I bless how I have been blessed, it saves people. 
And you're like, well, Andres, that sounds real easy and just that's way too practical. No, the reality is, is how much of an impact can we make when we're able to step out of our comfort to help somebody else? We've had already two leaders this week. One had surgery. The other one was admitted into the hospital. And for my dad and I and our family to receive text messages of how quick small groups got together, how quick leadership teams got together to go visit them, to provide food for them, to help be there for them. That's exactly what we're seeing in the picture that we just read here in Acts. It's saying because there was a need, that was it. It wasn't even the need that was asked or even said. It was just because we're people that like to give. We're people that that have generosity within our spirit that when there's a need we're going to be here to meet that need so as they're sitting there saying i don't need this we're here no we're here to bless you we're here to be for you and because of that someone can take that and change and impacts their life in our first service my dad honored our compassion ministry and, and it was beautiful we receive every month the report of what happens in our compassion ministry they go out once a month and give hot plate of food every single month downtown uh, and, and they're always giving clothes that are needed and, and that's beyond just, just that's just one part of it and, and there was one part that, that was given from, from our leader uh, Maria Galetti where she was saying man I felt so blessed being able to go to six different houses to bless all of these people and you know what was amazing is the way she wrote it was a blessing in itself. She goes, it brought me so much joy to be able to give. You know, I've been in a scenario in my own life when my daughter was much smaller and she was like five, six years old. She was always had a heart that whenever she sees somebody that's less than, if there's someone that's homeless, or they will bring tears to her eyes. She'll be like, Oh my God, like, let's help them, always. We, we would be on vacation, and, and I remember when we were in New Orleans, and there was a young man that was there, and he was playing, and, and he was playing an instrument. And, uh, and, and for me, the, the, you could look at it, and I was like, man, that hat that he has is full of $20 bills. Like, you know, I'm looking at this, it's like, he don't need my extra dollar. You know, you, you start putting, because we always give reasons when not to give. That's what we always do. And so I remember I'm looking, and, and when we, she was like five years old during this time, in a, in a different story, I remember I, I, the only cash I had in my pocket was about five dollars that's about it till the next paycheck and I remember just thinking she was like daddy please can we give it to him and I was like I need somebody to give to me (laughs) she had no idea so I'm passing the five to her and she's over like here sir such joy in her life knowing that I was able to bless and I'm over here like You know, somebody give to me. You know, it's like, because when you give, as a cheerful giver, there's joy that's brought within you to be able to do something for someone else, especially when you know what God's brought you through. Especially when you know what God's already done in your life. To be able to do something like that, it brings joy. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, as we read, and also in verse 32 through 37 of chapter 4, Luke records examples of how the church began to live as a community concerned for each other from the beginning. It was clear that the church saw her responsibility to serve one another through distribution of funds among people as a means of caring for one another. And while the gifts were not compulsory, there was still a spirit of sacrificial generosity among them. And even later, Paul would request of believers to set aside a gift in keeping with their income in the leading of God. And while the gift Paul requested was a special offering for the churches in Jerusalem, it required prayer, discernment, and commitment from the individual who was seeking to honor God with it so the question is the giver happier than the getter 
There's surely some mistake when you read it like that. That goes against all of our intuitions and instincts. So let me help you believe or let me help you to believe it and act upon it by giving you some reasons why it is more blessed to give than to receive. I ask the question, what did the Apostle Paul mean when he said, as the Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive? In, in a Tony Evans Bible commentary, he tells us, indeed, in God's economy, you will be more blessed if you're a spiritual conduit rather than a spiritual cul-de-sac. God wants to work through you so that you will be a blessing to others. If you have the capacity to address a need with your money, your time, or your encouragement, be used by God to give to and meet that need because God will always return the favor. So when we give, we are putting ourselves in a place of humility and offering that God shows favor upon us. God is looking to bless those who obey him and pursue the things of his kingdom on earth. The Old Testament has, Testament has, a way more, uh, and has way more commands about financial giving, who, when, and how much, than the New Testament does. And maybe the New Testament writers just assumed that as God had given far more to us in the New Testament, giving himself to death, that our giving should follow fairly logically and easily. But just in case we might miss the link, there are clear New Testament Testament commands also, as all of God's commands are given to enhance our lives, obeying this command, and it will increase our happiness. See, giving submits to God's lordship. I'm not going to go into percentages here today. I'm just talking about giving. Giving submits to God's lordship. Every act of obedience recognizes that there is a higher authority in our lives, that there is a Lord over us who is entitled to honor and respect. And due to our temperament, our personality, our circumstances, we may find some commands relatively easy to obey. Our submission is really tested in those areas where our own nature and situation make obedience more difficult. So for most of us, money is one of those areas. Our wallet is often the last citadel to fall to God's rule and even when it does fall it gets rebuilt and resecured again all too quickly if only we could remember that divine lordship is not a threat rather it's the place of greatest safety so when we say I give myself away that's all of me and a lot of us we give ourselves away and we and we hold because why I worked for that I, I sweat it. I, 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 that's, that's, what I, that's what I did. That's, and a lot of it could be cultural too. Traditionally for Hispanics, for us, sometimes we're some of the most smallest churches, smallest ministries, smallest places because we hold on to what we work for. And then everyone else is progressing in a way and being able to do things in the community, do things for the kingdom of God at another level, at a higher scale, because there's people of generosity saying, I'm here because I'm stewarding my finances as well. Then I have a margin to be able to bless and be able to do something. It doesn't affect anything else I'm doing. I'm here to give, not from, from what I, some give out of the sacrifice, other gives from their excess, but because I live off of margin, I can give. 
And many of us were in that position. I've been in that position where you're literally saying, I wish I could, but I can't. Because if I give, I lose here. Or I can't do this or I can't do that. And we're living our life on the wrong margin, not being able to supply someone else's need. Man, how much of a blessing would it be that we could just walk into a place and we see a need from somebody that's sitting there. Or I'm able, my daughter sees another family member and says, Dad, I really want to help this family. And I'm living my life. I'm stewarding my finance as well. And I could be like, you know what, baby, here you go. Let's go ahead and bless them and give that to them. I want to be blessed so I can bless. I would hope that we all feel the same way. Because there's a principle here saying that we are blessed to be givers. So giving submits to God's lordship. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. As his image bears, we are called to copy his giving, to be mini picture of his, uh, of his infinitely large heart. The larger our hearts and the wider our hands, the larger the picture we paint of God's character. What do people think of God when they think of the way we use our money? There's a lot of documentaries out there right now. A lot of podcasts. Things that break my heart when you read them of abuse that has happened in the church with giving. And you're like, wow, like, man, Lord, like, was there any accountability ever in place to stop that from happening? And and I thought to myself, and and, and church, this is not a message because we're lacking anything or we need anything. We, we, We haven't done a giving campaign ever. But that matters to me just as well. I did ministry for 15 years, always wondering, where does that money go to? We shared this morning how how just from January to the beginning of this month, we have spent as a church over $20,000 on just the Revived Kids ministry. Over $20,000 just in the Revived Kids ministry. One ministry in this house. We're not talking about any of the other ones. In order for our kids to have the best that we can with what we have in this building. Now, there's no amount that we're like, if we spend this much, then we've made it. We've, no, no. That's what it's taken to get to that point. And we ask ourselves, we're like, Lord, like, where's this money going to? Well, part of it went there. You know what I'm saying? Like, how many of your parents here and their kids are back there somewhere, right? It went towards that. So when I hold on to what I value most and what I don't want nobody to take, it's not that it's not going anywhere. It's going there too. It's giving us the ability to give excellence to our next generation, to give excellence to, to ministry, to the things that we do, to, to give excellence to, our, to the quality of, of worship and the music that comes out forward in, in front of us. It allows us to do certain things to help. And sometimes you're like, we don't need all that. Like, I just want white walls. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need no lights. I don't need anything. You still want worship, even if you had that. And so the reality is this. I'm sitting there, and we're looking. It's like, Lord, if you're enhancing and giving moments, why not give the best of the best? Why can't we be the church that provides the best for the community that's around us? Or do we need to look poor to look more holy? So glad you're listening to our podcast. And we're believing it'll bless your life. And our desire is to impact more souls with the gospel of Christ. If you want to join this mission and want to give today, 
we will be so grateful. And you can do so by visiting our website at www.revivecolleen.com or text GIVE to 844-462-9071. Now let's get back to the message. I remember when, when Marie and I, we were youth pastors, and, and I, I, I made a terrible financial mistake by trading in my car for one of my dream cars. You remember that, babe? She doesn't want to remember that. I made an impulse buy and bought a Ford Mustang. It was of the year 2015. It was the 50-year generation car. Oh, it was so beautiful. Y'all remember that? Josh remembers. I, I love that car. I was just like, I looked at it every day. And I would always step out and look at it and be like, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. <laughs> and then I put gold rims on it, 18-inch gold rims on it. You're like, gold? No, not, it weren't fake. It was fake gold. But it was spray-painted gold. I took the rims and we spray-painted it. Will helped me with that. And I remember we put it on. I was like, man, that car looks sexy. And I was a youth pastor. And I remember driving up and, and someone threw a comment. They were like, I see where all our church money's going. I was like, hold up. I paid for this. It was a terrible buy too, you know? But I remember thinking to myself, in my stature, I, I heard a, a message one time saying, man, we got all these teenagers. During that time, the, the youth that we were leading were extremely diverse. They were very unchurched. We, we had over 150 kids coming out on Wednesday nights, and, and th- that time we were, it was just like, wow, and it was unchurched kids. When you would ask them, how many here, your parents are over there, it'd be like 10 of them, and those were the staff kids, and that was it. Everyone else, they were just arriving by themselves. They were just, and un, they don't, I can't say spiritual words up here and say, like, they would not understand anything that I'm saying. If I go, come on, Jehovah Rapha, they're looking at me like, Ra- who's Rapha, Rafi? Who's rough? He's talking about you. They wouldn't know. So I literally had to adapt to teaching in a way and preaching in a way so they could understand to then elevate them little by little to become young leaders and, think, think, and go from there, right? And so I remember thinking to myself, I was like, these kids that are unchurched, which I remember Marie and I had to deal with drug problems, dealing with gang problems, dealing with promiscuity, all these issues that we had to deal with, having people, single mothers dropping off their kids saying, just, just do something with him. He just doesn't want, getting calls about a kid going, going to jail, just do something with him. And I remember thinking to myself, heck yeah, I'm proud of driving this Ford Mustang. I'd rather them want to emulate a youth pastor that looks like he's got it going on than a drug dealer that's on the side of the road saying, come over here, look at all that I have. Why not I be looking blessed for a moment, dressed nice for a moment? And this is not to justify what I buy and what I like. The reality is, is I'm tired of just looking like if we're just people that just have no hope and we're broke and we have nothing to do. I don't want that. I don't, I'm not gonna, you're not going to give me any hope for a teenager and a young person to see, man, look what Andres is doing. I want to be just like him. And I remember thinking to myself, I said, I'm a drive proud. I pay for this. I work 50 hours a week to pay for this. Not at church. That didn't include my church hours. But some people won't understand. They'll look at it and they say, it's abuse. And this is not in my notes, but that's how a lot of us are today. Because I saw abuse elsewhere, I won't give here. Because I assumed and speculated what was happening elsewhere, I won't give here. And if you could understand that where I'm giving is not that you're giving to us. I don't see who gives here. I don't know anyone. Not the administrator.
if I can understand that as I give, how God sees that as in my heart is in this. Understand that every good gift comes from above. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And as his image bearers, we're called to copy his giving. See, at the heart of the gospel is sacrificial self-giving. John 3.16 says that God, for, for so God so loved the world that he gave. And that's why when the apostle Paul wanted to encourage the Corinthians to give more, he pointed to them the person and the work of Christ. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So yes, you abound in faith and love, but see that you abound in this grace also, because the biggest deterrent to giving is fear. And the fear that if I give away too much, I won't have enough for this or that. Or when we give sacrificially above and beyond what is comfortable and easy, we are expressing our faith and trusting God to provide for us and our family. This is not an argument for folly, but for faith. Many Christians have discovered the joy of casting their crumbs of bread upon the waters and multiple loaves returning after many days. It's such a joy to see God fulfill his promise of provision when we obey him. Giving trusts God's provision. That's what it does. But it's giving with joy, not out of obligation. I've been on the other side of a meeting of someone telling me, so I see you haven't tithed in three months, and I know your salary is this. And I'm like, oh, you see that? Dang it. I was trying to squeeze out six months. I'm trying to save for something. And I was but to be put in a manipulative way to obligate me to give. That because I didn't give, I'm creating disunity. Because I didn't give, I'm creating things to not grow. Because I didn't give, I'm impacting the church. Giving is a matter of the heart. I've felt that where it's manipulative. That when there's a campaign and someone says, who here can give $1,000? And just because I'm a leader of the church, I have to stand up. Knowing I don't have it. I'm like, I'm trusting in you, God. To feel that obligation, to feel essentially that manipulation. No, I want you to give according to what God places in your heart. I want you to give where you feel like you know this is going to you, God. I want you to give knowing that even if you don't, I'm believing you're still blessed. That if you don't decide to, I'm believing that God's hand is still over your life. That if you don't, because it's just the principle. If you look at it in another principle, you reap what you sow. The Bible says if I sow sparingly, then I'm going to reap sparingly. So if I'm going to sow and I'm going to water this and I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust in it, I'm going to see a growth like never before. Putting God first and recognizing that it all belongs to him liberates us from fear of loss and insufficiency. I want to close by giving you five reasons why it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I'll go through these quickly. Number one, if you're writing down. Giving widens God's smile. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 7 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I might send that to a pastor. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's why when my daughter gave those $5 that I did not have, she was in cheer. She was like, look what we got to do. If I didn't check my heart, because it's a heart issue, I would have been, I don't have. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible with your money, okay? That's not what I'm saying. If you have $5 in your pocket and you don't get manipulated by a five-year-old little girl's tears, then you don't have to give that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God loves a cheerful. Do it if you're going to do it with your heart. Giving is not always easy, but God wants us to give and do it happily. An act done cheerfully is done with a happy heart. Usually spending money isn't fun unless we're buying good food or hobbies. But sometimes we spend money for a purpose. We support worthy causes. We tithe to our church. That feels good, right? Maybe you write a check or perhaps you give food, clothes, time, or expertise. But what Paul is telling believers at Corinth is to give resources to the church, not with a bad temper, but a genuine smile. Money, food, and other essentials were to be distributed by the church leadership where it was needed. Believers were told to do this to please God and serve each other. This act of generous obedience was supposed to feel good and bring joy. That's why that pay it forward movement became so popular in America. Have you ever done that before? Where you walk, you're at a drive-thru and a coffee shop, wherever you may be, and you say, you know what, I'll pay for mine, but I'm going to pay for the car behind me. Until they tell you, it was $78, never mind. (laughs) Can you put $5 towards their bill? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know. But some of us, we don't question it. $16.98. All right, here you go. It became so big in that pay it forward movement. It was a great feeling knowing that you were paying for someone behind you without them knowing and it was coming. You surprise yourself in the realization that giving money is far more fun than getting it. And at first you'll be practicing and it won't feel good. Then one day something will change. You might witness the, the expression on someone's face when he, when he receives a kindness from you without knowing where it came from. It might be the realization that your generosity blessed someone to the point of to- joyful tears and even nudge that individual closer towards believing in Christ for salvation. Wouldn't that be worth the expense? When we give cheerfully... We demonstrate that we love Jesus more than our money. The second one, giving advances God's kingdom. How many here have an iPhone? Put your iPhones in the air. And wave them like you care, because these bad boys are expensive. This is an expensive phone. For the iPhone 14 Pro Max, it starts at $1,199. Some of y'all are on payment plans, don't lie. I didn't have it. I was like, yeah, go ahead and put me on that device agreement. Take me two years to pay for it. But there's others that walk in. I've been in a Verizon wireless shop. I remember they were sitting there, they're like, getting two iPhones, five grand on the table. I was like, he's a drug dealer. Who has 5000 in cash like that? This is an expensive phone. 
you know, many of us, we've contributed to Apple in one way or another. I'm part of the Apple ecosystem. I have a note right here. It's on my note, my phone, note, my MacBook. Nobody, yeah, it's just, it's been a year commitment, years commitment. We've helped grow the company from a garage operation to the worldwide empire it is today. And I'm happy at that. It's a company that has brought many ways of capabilities that we can look at as blessings to the world. But think of what blessing results when we fund the mission of Christ's church. When people will drop 1200 for a phone on a Saturday and on Sunday drop like $3. But God bless it, Lord. We are paying salaries of ministers and missionaries. We are funding resources for outreach, evangelism, and discipleship. But above all, we are investing in the spiritual and eternal welfare of people from every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. Our dollars are changing homes, relationships, countries, and even the eternal destiny of many souls. Giving advances God's kingdom. The third one, giving promotes God's sanctification. Giving promotes God's sanctification. Giving not only promotes God's work through us, but also God's work in us, our sanctification. Giving money, especially when it pains us, requires much self-denial and self-crucifixion. However, as every act of giving weakens and even breaks our sinful and selfish nature, the more God's grace spreads in our hearts. Yes, money leaves our pockets, but sin also leaves our hearts. And that's a great deal. It's priceless, actually. To be sanctified is to be set apart. It's a sacred purpose. By giving not only advances God's kingdom, it shines His holiness brighter that's why between my wife and I she's way more of the giver she'll find it in their heart to do something every single person that we've blessed and being able to bless a couple or if it was a, a marriage or for somebody that we're financially giving something it's always been through her I'm like Lord help me speak to me in those moments but it's just I'm different my giving might look a little different and she'll come, baby, I really feel in my heart, I want to give $100 to this person. I feel in my heart, I want to buy groceries for this person. I feel in my heart, right? And I'm, and I'm the one that's like, we need groceries. You know, like, because when you're not naturally a giver, you'll always find an excuse of when not to give. And so for her, she goes, I release it. As it came into my hands, I release it because, Lord, you're going to give me more. So the Bible says when you're faithful with the little... Then he looks down and he says that, man, then I know you can handle much more. Giving promotes God's sanctification. Number four, giving testifies to God's power. Although we're not to let our left hand know what our right hand does, it's pretty obvious that Christians give a lot to their churches and Christian charities. Even secular observers have noticed with amazement how generous Christians often are with their money. They may not say it, but they surely must think it. This must be the real deal for people to give away so much of their own money. They must really believe this stuff. The God they worship and serve must be incredibly powerful to make people so generous. See, we planted this church in November of 2020 during a pandemic and the holidays. Where if you've been in church in, in leadership long enough, 
Some of the lowest times when people give is during the summer and in the holidays, Christmas. I've been in churches where the preacher will say, your tithes are under the tree right now. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. And he was talking about me. Because it's the low. Why? Because there's so much out. There's so much going out. I'm giving gifts. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going on trips. I'm doing vacation. So naturally, that's what's happened. So why would we plant a church during a pandemic and the holidays, which it takes money in order to start something like this, to rent, to buy chairs, to pay for the electric, to pay for the AC, to pay, there's just so much that, that goes in store that a lot of times we don't realize. And we're like, yeah, let's go, I wanna plant a church. That's why for someone who tells me I'm about to go plant a church, I'm like, good luck, or God bless you. You really wanna do that? Because I didn't. It was just obedience. Something you'll know about your pastors is that we didn't want this. Marie always knows, I was always leery when, when a young adult would come up to me in, in our young adult service and say, Pastor, I've been called to be a pastor. I want to plant a church. I went, I'm like, really, you do? That's how I would respond. It would be terrible. Like, oh, I thought you were going to motivate me. Like, no, like, no, don't do it. No, I was kidding. But God bless them that someone accepts the calling and says, I want to do this. I feel called to do this. We need people that are like that. Send me, I will go. And you got me, I'm going, Lord, I just... It's out of obedience. I could progress at my job at Cisco, become a vice president, travel the world, do all these things. I could put all my effort into that. But God, you said, no, I need you to serve my people. I could have used my resources in another way. I've heard me say that before with all my tenacity, my character, everything that I am to go make money a different way. But God said, no. I need you here for my people. And the beauty of obedience is that it brings fulfillment. It brings joy. Meaning even if I didn't want it, I feel joy because I get to do it. Even though I didn't want to step into it, I feel joy because I get to serve his people. Even though his people are difficult to serve, I still get joy knowing that there's beauty at the end of that result. Giving testifies to God's power. See, this is not just for us, but this is for you, for the next generation, our families, and the impact to this city we have the honor to serve. So these are the things we have said and we believed for. And every week, God continues to provide through people's faithfulness and generosity. We are not just asking for money. We are raising our faith. And can I tell you, as a church body, since November of 2020, we have not lacked anything. Nothing. That, that deserves a clap. Nothing. Can I tell you that as a church, we have no debt right now. Can, can I tell you that? Can he tell you as a church that we're already dreaming and believing for the next place that God has in store for us? We're not asking for money. We're raising our faith. And we've believed that God will always provide people to give to what they believe in. And it's been miracles, right, Dad? Miracle after miracle 
after miracle. I, I, I'm part of our, 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 our board, and, and when we get the text saying we've been able to move $50,000 to savings, like every other week, and I'm going, God, it's only you. Because of the generosity of so many, we're able and have the capacity to be able to bless and do more for others. The fifth one and final one. Giving praises God's character. Giving praises God's character. See, giving in a right spirit is an act of worship. It is rendering him a tribute of praise. It is saying, you gave me everything. And here is a small expression of my gratitude and praise for all your good gifts. It's only a token. It's a sample of what I really feel. But you know the heart that lies behind it. David saying in Psalms 116, 12, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? See, if worship is celebrating God's worth, then service to one another in God's name is simply the outflow of showing care for the people God loves. See, Christina Fox writes about how following a surgery, her church family stepped in and helped with her family. It was a beautiful act that really just, just loving God on display. In response, she says, because we are a family we help one another the kind of help a person needs will respond and vary from person to the next but it includes providing for one's physical needs helping and serving with our time and labor sharing with others what we have it means providing a meal to a family who just had a baby it means lending a car to a friend who can't afford to repair their broken down one it means offering to babysit when a friend is sick it means mowing the yard for the elderly it means sharing clothes toys and other material possessions it may even mean opening our home for a friend who loses theirs. The ways we serve one another, no matter how big or small, are acts of Christian love in the family of God. It is worship unto Him. They not only help and provide for another's needs, but they speak to the watching world of Christ's love for us in the gospel. Giving praise is God's character. Haggai 2.8 tells us that God owns everything. He says, silver and gold are mine. Our entire life is, in, is on loan from him. The words of Paul to Timothy, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. See, God calls us to manage what he created. This is nothing to bat an eye at. This is an important call each and every single one of us receives from God. But this is easy to forget. My wife and I recently, we had a real serious conversation about our finances, something that I was putting away for such a long time. And we sat down, we just, we just sat and we just, and I shared everything. I opened up the door and everything. And I was feeling the conviction of saying, Lord, I'm called to lead God people, but I need to steward what I have in my hands well. And it put me in a position to say, in order for me to achieve and accomplish all that you've called and you've, and you've declared over my life, in this that I, I have pride over, I need to release it onto you. So if that's me, could you imagine all of us, if we were to take this serious and what we can accomplish together? See, life has a way of distracting us from day-to-day -day tasks, working long hours, unexpected expenses, obligations, 
It's easy to get pulled away from fulfilling God's call of stewardship upon our life. Besides, the presence of sin can easily distort our view from seeing our life and belongings as God's to our own. This is a subtle yet dangerous shift. And as a disciple of Christ, how you live your life, how you manage your time, and how you handle your finances is a significant part of living the Christian life. So you see, the whole issue with money is attitude. And the wrong attitude is to love it. The right attitude is this. It is God's, all of it, and I am a steward of every penny. And every dime should reflect his glory. See, a lot of us worry about giving and a lot of us stress about giving. Give God your worries in exchange for his peace. See, gratitude refocuses our minds on the goodness and the gifts of God rather than the problems around us. Philippians 4 chapter 4 verse 7 in the New Living Translation says, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So you can dwell on your problems or you can dwell on God's promises. You can dwell on your problems or you can dwell on God's promises. Come on, let's all stand to our feet as we close. There's a story involving Yogi Berra. He was a well-known catcher for the New York Yankees. Amen. And Hank Aaron, who at the time was the chief power hitter for the Milwaukee Braves. So this is way back when. The teams were playing in the 1957 World Series. And as usual, Yogi was keeping up his ceaseless chatter. He would be the type of catcher that when the batter arrives, he'd be like, ha, you ain't going to do nothing. Did you imagine that? They're over here like, he's like, yeah. he, he would say things. like He was like, man, your wife is beautiful. He's like, you be? And he intended to pep up his teammates on the one hand and distract the Milwaukee batters on the other. And as Aaron came to the plate, Yogi tried to distract him by saying, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so you can read the trademark. Aaron didn't say anything. But when the next pitch came, he hit it into the left field's bleachers for a home run. And after rounding the bases and tagging up at home plate, Aaron looked at Yogi Bear and said, I didn't come up here to read. See, Jesus didn't come here to give you more things to worry about. He came to give you hope to give you grace, to give you peace. Are you ready to experience his peace? If so, then you have to let Jesus be king. Live one day at a time and lean on the faithfulness of God. And when you do this, you are choosing to give your worry up for the peace that can only come from our Father in heaven. So I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want to pray for a peace that only he can give you. Because some may be worried about their finances right now. Some may be worried about a health issue. Some may be bitter about a past situation at another church. But can I tell you, when you give it all to him, when you give of your worship to him, when you give of your resources to him, joy arrives, peace arrives, fulfillment arrives. So Father, we pray in this moment, it's not always.